0: How many of you have a distinguishing, unique quality about yourself? How many, really, seriously, how many of you would have a family member, a friend, or a spouse that would say you have a unique, distinguishing quality about yourself? I'm sure the majority of us have something that's unique or distinguishes us. You probably can get a pretty good visual of what mine is this morning. Besides my amazing athletic body, I have this amazing, distinguishing, unique feature of Big Ears. And it was much more obvious when I was little, and whenever I visit my small hometown of Alden, Minnesota, you can stop in the local gas station, you can go to the elevator, and right when you walk in, you're almost guaranteed to be asked, hey, are you the grandson of Richard Peterson? Automatically, not because of height, because I don't have his height, but because of Big ears—they're a distinguishing, beautiful, unique characteristic and quality that makes you known. You're from a certain family. A lot of us have unique, distinguishing characteristics and qualities. This morning, we're looking at a Bible passage where Jesus really lays out this interesting, but unique, distinguishing quality of his followers, and that this unique, distinguishing quality of his followers is actually theirs because it was God's first. This morning, we're going to be able to dig in and see what is it that makes Christianity unique. If you type into Google how many different religions are there, Google shoots back at you that there are 4,200 different religions right now. That's a lot. I'm not sure there are actually that many, but I know there are, for a fact, at least five big dominating religions all around the world. You've got Hinduism, you've got New Age, you've got Buddhism, you've got Islam, and Christianity. Five big ones that are dominating the world scene. Each of them has different, unique characteristics of what they emphasize and what their ultimate goal is. But there's one element of Christianity that distinguishes it from the other four. As we hear the words of Jesus today, we're going to get a glimpse of what is it that distinguishes Jesus from all other religions, and therefore, what is it then that should distinguish Christians from other people and the world around us? All of us, you could say, are traveling on a path in life. We've chosen a road, and we're working walking on that road. My grandfather, whenever he would drive, kind of had a rule. You never travel on the same road twice. He liked to take every single back road to get somewhere. And when I was growing up, we lived here in Sioux Falls, and they lived in Albert Minnesota, which is just a straight shot down I-90. You would think to yourself, well, there can't be that many creative paths between here and Albert Minnesota. Let me tell you, there's a lot of creative paths between here and Albert Lea, Minnesota, they just all take about an hour longer than I-90. But my grandfather found those creative paths because he chose to travel on that specific pathway that was unique to him. This morning, Jesus is laying out a unique pathway that for us as followers of Christ, and that unique pathway is this, that we travel a road of service, that as followers of Jesus Christ, That which is to distinguish us is that we travel on a path of service where we put the needs of others before our own. Jesus lays this out in our Bible reading this morning as he's interacting with the mother of some of his disciples. And the mother has got what I would consider a legitimate question. The mother asks Jesus, Hey, Jesus, I know something big is coming. You're heading up to Jerusalem. Everybody's expecting this big moment. And at this big moment, everybody's expecting Jesus to take over, basically. They're expecting Jesus to establish his kingdom and say, hey, Israel's going to be great again. And so the mother says to Jesus, hey, um, could my sons sit at your right hand and your left hand? In other words, she's saying to them, could my sons be senior vice presidents, basically be next in charge? And Jesus turns to her and says, hey, I, I can't decide that. But then he kind of corrects her thinking a little bit and lays down a different vision of that position of authority that she wants for her kids. Jesus says to her, hey, the Gentiles, in other words, the people of the world, they want a position of authority. Why? So that they can lord it over others. In other words, so that they can use that authority to their own benefit. So they can use that authority to say to others, hey, you are under me. But Jesus says, hey, that's not you. Followers of Christ, when you receive authority, when you receive pleasure, when you receive blessing, guess what? You don't use it to lord over others. You use it to serve others. Look with me here in Matthew chapter 20. And Specifically what Jesus says is he unpacks this contrast in verse 25 of Matthew 20. Jesus says, You know that the rulers and the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. This verse right here is reminiscent of a verse in Philippians that some of you probably have memorized, Philippians 2, 5, where it says, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. In other words, Jesus was a servant looking to the needs of others. And so Jesus says, hey, now you travel this path of serving others. Other people want to use others for their agenda. You exist to serve others. Jesus is laying down a drastically different pathway for us to travel on, and it doesn't stop there at a life of service, but Jesus adds a level of difficulty to it, and I want to share with you this morning something that we normally would pass over. Jump back up with me, if you would, in Matthew 20 to 22. Verse 22, Jesus is again talking, and he says to them, "'You do not know what you are asking.' Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? Well, what is Jesus? you are able to drink the cup. What Jesus is referring to here is Old Testament prophecy from Isaiah and others, who when they understood the cup of the Lord, understood it as the wrath of God being poured out. And when they understood the cup being poured out, understood it to be a time of suffering and sacrifice. And so Jesus here is predicting, basically telling his followers, Hey, I'm going to undergo some suffering and sacrifice. But look what he says next. In verse 23, he says, "You will drink my cup. You will drink my cup." In other words, Jesus predicts that his followers are going to also experience suffering, are also going to experience persecution. So the road that Jesus would have us travel is first and foremost a life of service where we're saying to others, your needs before my own. But we have to recognize that this road of service is going to be marked with suffering. We we don't talk about this very often. But these are the expectations that Jesus is laying out for his followers. He says it in other places as well when he says to them something like this. Just as they persecuted me, They are going to persecute you. And then in Philippians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul says that, I want to know the power of the resurrection and the fellowship of your sufferings. In other words, Paul is saying, I'm going to be familiar with suffering just like you are. The life of a Christian is not all happy and glee, this is reality. The life of a Christian is going to be difficult at times. There's going to be moments of suffering and persecution. That's going to come in the form of physical pain for some, but it's also going to come in the form of mocking. It's going to come in the form of hurt relationships because people aren't going to understand the path that we're traveling on. But Jesus basically says, hey, if I'm going to experience it, guess what? You're going to experience it as well. I don't share this this morning to say, hurrah, yay, but to give us a biblical expectation for the life that God is going to have us walk. We should not be surprised when difficulty comes our way. And so this morning, our hearts are broken. We ache for the people that lost their lives in that bombing in Egypt. Here's a difficult reality, though those individuals most likely had an expectation that there was a good chance that was going to happen at some point because they're constantly living in the presence of persecution. Now, you and I have blessings. That doesn't mean you and I should go out and say, hey, somebody come persecute us today. No, not at all. But it should cause us to be extra grateful for the peace and the blessings that we do have in following Christ. Because not everyone has that, and we're not even promised that. And so this morning, the pathway that Jesus is laying out for us is a pathway of service, but be prepared, it's going to be marked with suffering. Now there is a beauty to this pathway. There is actually a joy on this pathway. And this joy is this, and think, go with me here for a moment, The joy of the pathway of Jesus is this. We don't have to be in middle school any longer. I don't know about you, but middle school was just treacherous. I don't don't know who enjoys middle school at all because do you know what happens in middle school? Your head is on a constant swivel. That's all you're doing in middle school is, what's he doing? What's she doing? What are they doing? What are they doing? Your head's on a swivel because you want to know what they're doing so you know what you should do. Your head's on a constant swivel because you want what? Do they like me? Do they like me? Are they saying nice things about me? Because you want everybody to like you. One of our challenges is this. Most of us never outgrow middle school. Our head is still on a swivel where we're just concerned about what's going on about the people around us. Do they like me? You know what? This this interesting passage here, Jesus is getting right to that. Because what happens to his followers? His followers, when they hear this request, they kind of become angry at one another. Why? Because they're thinking to themselves, well, why should they get those seats? Why do they get to sit at the right and the left? And, and we should have been asking. They fall back into the comparison trap. But when we're on the pathway of Christ, we're not in this thing of, do they like me? Do they like me? How can I use these people? But we're on this pathway of, how can I serve people? It puts people in a different spot. It moves them from being God to being human. Big difference. Are people in your life God or are they human? And when they're human, we see them as created in the image of God, so they have great value. So what do we want to do? We want to serve and bless them. It puts us in a different relationship with them. We don't need their approval because they're not our God. Is your head still on a swivel? Or have you come to rest in the approval of God in walking this pathway of serving others? This pathway of serving others is not done to get something. This is the complete uniqueness of Christianity now. For the next three minutes, I'm going to lay out for you the complete uniqueness of Christianity. We do not travel this pathway of service to get to a destination or to get something. We travel this pathway of service because our king traveled this pathway of service. The distinguishing characteristic of Christianity is just like Islam, we believe in one God, that there's one creator over the universe. The difference is this. In Christianity... God comes to humanity rather than humanity trying to earn their way to God. This is it. This is the fundamental principle of Christianity of where it's either right or wrong. Of where we're either in this amazing blessing or we're completely foolish. Is that the unique quality of Christianity is that Jesus Christ, the king of the universe, who could say this, hey, everybody serve me. He says in Matthew 20, 28, what does he say though? Even though as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. In other words, the God of this universe leaves the throne room of heaven and comes down and serves humanity. God comes to us. We don't go to God. This is good news. Because no one has ever been able to go to God. People have tried something called the Tower of Babel in the Old Testament. People are still trying today through unique ways and avenues. But the teaching of Jesus Christ is that God has come to us. He has descended to our level. And not only as he descended, but as it says in Matthew 20, 28, he came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In other words, Jesus came and paid the price of our sin. He didn't just come and walk among us, but he took the punishment for our wrongdoing. The Bible teaches us that for there, in, order there, for there, in order for there to be the forgiveness of sin, blood has to be shed in order to satisfy a just God. Jesus comes and sheds his own blood on our behalf so that we can be in relationship with God. So this pathway of service that we're on, guess what? We don't do it to get something because God has already come to us. We're traveling on this path because it's the path that our God travels on. God himself became a servant and looked not to his need, but to the need of us. And so this morning, what's your life mantra? If I had to ask you, what's your life mantra? A lot of people have the mantra, try harder, do your best, make it count next time. And many Christians still have those mantras. They're the voices in our heads that are still driving us on a day to day. Do you know the problem behind each of those sayings? Each of those sayings is saying this, you're not enough. You're not enough. You can do better. It's not Christianity. The mantra of Christianity is one word. Done. Done. That's it. That's it. You can't make yourself good enough. You can't make up for your previous mistakes. You can't try harder. What you can do is you can simply do from a position of done. It's a big difference, a big difference working from a position of security rather than trying to work for a position of security. A whole new level of freedom is available for you today when you understand that Jesus Christ has come and has already done the work on your behalf. And now he's inviting us into a journey of traveling on the same pathway of serving and blessing others. I'm not serving and blessing others to get something from God. I'm not serving and blessing others to get something from them. I'm serving and blessing others simply to serve and bless. Because it flows from who we are, because that's who Jesus is. Do you have that freedom this morning? Or is your head on a swivel, looking for the approval of others and trying harder for the approval of God? This morning, Jesus says, done. The ransom has been paid by him through his blood. And so today, would you start a new mantra? One word? Done. He brings a great amount of freedom. And this morning, we're going to celebrate something that reminds us of this work that Jesus has done and it equips us to go out and then live that life as well. We now come to something that's kind of weird in Christianity. Let's just acknowledge it. This is a little bit odd, called communion. Communion is just a little bit different. I mean, we're eating juice, and we're eating juice. We're drinking juice, and we're eating bread, and we're saying that God is here present with us. Okay, that's a little bit goofy. It's okay to say that's a little bit goofy. What God has done is God has instituted something simple and ordinary that tells us his story again. One of the kids, uh, students asked on Wednesday night at our final First Communion class, well, why don't we use Kit Kats and Mountain Dew? Which I think is a legitimate good question. (laughs) Believe me, I was tempted today to go that path. Well, there's a variety of reasons, but... One of the main reasons, I'll give you two reasons this morning, and that's this. First is this. The bread and what would have been wine or juice reminds us of real flesh and blood. That Jesus literally lived among us and gave his life. So we use bread and wine or juice because it's his reminds us of his flesh and his blood. The second reason that we use these elements rather than Kit Kats and Mountain Dew is that these elements are common every day. Almost every home that you would have went into in Jesus' time, there would have been a loaf of bread and a bottle of, I don't know if it would have been a bottle, but a bottle of wine at the table. They were common elements. Jesus chooses the ordinary to meet us in. Jesus chooses the ordinary to remind us of the extraordinary. That's why at baptism, we just use water. There's nothing more basic than water. Jesus comes to us in the ordinary, and at communion again, it's the ordinary where we're reminded that the extraordinary has been done by God himself, that he has come in the flesh, the bread, and he has shed his blood, the drink, on our behalf. And so this morning, as we celebrate communion, I want you to think of one word while you're taking communion. Done. Because that's what we celebrate today. Through Jesus' death, it's done on our behalf. And so this morning, I'm going to invite our students to come forward this morning. We had six young people that went through First Communion. They took some time and studied with their parents. Young people, come on forward. You can just stand right here. Unless you want to come up on the stage, that's fine. Come on up on the stage. I can share. These young people took some time over the last five weeks to study God's word with their with their parents, adults, trying to understand um, how we got communion, and then understanding what communion is. And so this morning, we're going to serve them communion. This is their first time participating and receiving this blessing, and then we'll serve the rest of the congregation communion after they have received communion. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul is talking to the church at Corinth, and he says to them, hey, I'm passing on to you what has been passed on to me. And so Jesus says, Paul says to them, And when Jesus' last night, he took bread, he broke it, and he said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This bread represents Christ's body given on behalf of us. Body of Christ given for you. 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 You can eat it. You can eat it. Go ahead. Go ahead. After supper again, Jesus took the cup next. And he said, This is my blood shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me, for, for forgiveness of sins for the whole world. This blood reminds us. This drink reminds us of the blood that Christ shed on our behalf. God himself paying our ransom. Today we celebrate that we have young people who have chosen to understand what Jesus has done for them. We have young people that are in families that have taken time to understand what Jesus has done for them. It's amazing. The blessing of God is not just for the old, but it is for all ages. And so today we celebrate that they are now acknowledging that they have an understanding of what Jesus has done from that, and they want to experience that blessing on a regular basis as they experience communion alongside the rest of us. Let's praise God for them this morning and congratulate them and thank them. I'll take a moment now I want to invite the rest of you To come and to receive, to come and to be reminded, to come and experience the God who comes to us, the God who pays the ransom himself. And so for just a moment, you're going to have an opportunity to come and receive communion. All who profess the name of Jesus Christ are invited to come. When you come forward, ask that you'd hold out your hands if you'd like to receive communion. When you hold out your hands, you receive a piece of bread. Then ask that you take that bread and dip it into the juice and then you can return to your seats and continue to worship or spend time in personal prayer. Let's take a moment right now, though, and reflect and prepare our own hearts to receive this gift. Let us pray. Gracious and everlasting God, we give thanks for these young people. We give thanks for the blessing of their faith, the blessing of their families that take time and to grow in their knowledge and understanding of what you have done. So God, we ask now as we prepare to receive this gift, That you, God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would prepare our hearts. That you would examine our hearts. God, we acknowledge to you that oftentimes we have tried on our own power. We acknowledge that oftentimes we have not loved as we should. We acknowledge that oftentimes we have ignored your commands. So, God, we ask now that you would forgive us. We ask now that you give us the gift of faith that we could trust in Jesus. God, we thank you. We come now and we receive this bread. We receive this drink in the name of Jesus. Amen.